Has God been good to anybody here today? Mm, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so thankful for all that God has done. I'm so thankful to see all of you today in the middle of a rainy Sunday. What's the deal with the rain? Y'all farmers, speak for yourself. We need it, but not on Sunday. The Murphy Law of pastoring is it's going to rain on Sunday. <laughs> no, it's really not that bad. And it's raining anyway. You might as well enjoy it. And it's beautiful in its own way. Um, I was next door between services and I got all ready to go and I went over to where my umbrella, I keep my umbrella and someone had stolen my umbrella and I thought to myself <laughs> I think I probably know who it was she's probably about nine years old and about yay tall uh, they had stolen my umbrella, and so just want you to know that we've all been baptized in the cloud, and so we're glad to have everyone here today. We have a baptism. I'm going to baptize little Maxima sitting right here on the second row. I'm excited about that. She's going to be uh, baptized. I introduced uh, a couple Sundays back, I introduced uh, the Bowmans. John Bowman was a very uh, interesting part of my youth, so kind to me in a very small church, let me hang out with him. Ooh, that reminds me of a story. Do you remember the story when John Bowman saved my life? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? He used to live around the street from the church, and I, he, had, he was a muscle man, and he had weights at his house, and um, I was on his bench uh, trying to bench weight, and uh, he hadn't put enough weight on there for me. He wasn't as strong as I was as a young child, and uh, um, I had a fireball in my mouth, and um, I went back on that bench. I tried to lift it, and right when I got the weight right here, that fireball slipped into my vocal, uh, I mean, into my trach right here, and we uh, pushed the weight up, and I couldn't breathe, and I'm choking, and the first thing he did was, as all good men, is he called my dad, and so he was like, look, he's yours. Um, my hands are clean of it. Uh, my dad comes, I remember my dad come turn around in that 74 Toyota Corolla. He had already done the Heimlich maneuver on me by then and popped that right out there. So the reason why you'll have a pastor is because John Bowman knew how to do the Heimlich maneuver on me. <laughs> So, yes, sir. All right. Well, that's all good stuff. Uh, hope you've had a wonderful week. Let's, let's read together Luke chapter number two. We'll read it verse number 11. You, most of you guys could quote this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Somebody say, I needed a Savior. <laughs> I needed a Savior. And I just want to say thank you for saving me. Uh, I didn't deserve it. I hadn't done anything worthy of it. I wasn't good enough. And you saved me. And I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, right now. I know we're all here and it's Sunday and we're all churchified, but Lord, I just want to say thank you for saving sinners like us. Without you, there would be no reason to have a church. There would be no reason to celebrate a holiday season and remember your birth. We just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for washing our sins away. I also want to read John chapter number 14, and we're going to read uh, verse number 6. 
Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father uh, but by me. Uh, we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in this holiday season. And there is a, a certain sentimentality to it, which is, um, it kind of cuts both ways. In, in one hand, it makes our holiday seasons particularly sweet in a manner that only sentiment can do it. And by sentiment, I mean that feeling, that warm embrace, that uh, family uh, fireplace, uh, hopefully, you know, gifts and blessings, and hopefully someone's cooked you some good food. If not, you really should buy a cookbook and be the one to cook. Um, there, this sentimental moment, um, and it is sweet in a very special way, but uh, if there's one thing I know about the holidays after 30 years of pastoring, or not quite 30 yet, but say 22 or 23, 30 years of ministry, uh, the one thing I know is that sentiment cuts both ways in the same way that it can make you warm and uh, kind of the glow of memory, it can also make the holidays one of the most difficult, painful seasons of the year. And there is a reason why so many problems spike in the holidays. Um, people who have done well in many ways uh, with setting behind them addictive habits, whether uh, those addictive habits are alcohol or even um, drugs of some type, um, sometimes the holidays can be particularly difficult times of uh, high recidivism. I, I think that's the right word to say. That's my $2 word. Hopefully you liked it. Um, where they go back and kind of end the bad habits. More um, depression spikes during the holidays. I wish it weren't so. I wish it were all, you know, primarily uh, singing syrupy, sentimental uh, Frank Sinatra Christmas songs. Um, I wish it was just, you know, holly and uh, fake snow. I wish it was just, you know, drive-by nativity scenes. I wish it was just gift-giving, but let's talk about uh, humanity's response here. There is, there is along with that uh, sweetness and along with that goodness, there's spikes uh, in depression, there's spikes in anxiety, and worse, uh, there's spikes in falling off the wagon, so to speak. There's spikes even in um, suicide. And it's so tragic that what was meant to be sweet, that which was meant to be um, the warm hug that wraps around you as a child or a little person, and you know everything is okay. Um, you grow older, and life comes in waves, some good, many bad, and you deal with the crashing of it all, and now that which was intended to be a warm hug around you in a special season uh, in some ways is a place of sadness and mourning for you, and you're not in uh, any real sense um, warmed by it, but you're saddened by it, if that makes sense. You're, you're, you're feeling as though something is missing um, because the sweetness, the, the tinsel, uh, the uh, sentimental song, the 
Uh, Santa got ran over by a reindeer laughter. Uh, the do you have prison, your Christmas list sorted out. Uh, that is only a memory of, watch, what is lost to you. And out of this sense of lostness is where so much of the holiday discouragement comes to people who, who um, uh, haven't, how shall we say, they, they have not invested um, in uh, themselves. They have not invested in their future. They have not stored up the good works of a good harvest for themselves. Don't, don't, don't deceive yourself. God is not mocked that what we sow is that which we reap. And if we sow bad things, we reap a bitter harvest. And it's not really anybody's fault. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, maybe except the sower's fault. Um, we, in this warmth of the holiday embrace, in this warmth of the lights and the fun and the rapturous expressions on a child's face, there is to some people only the sense of what was lost to them. They remember a, a grandparent, perhaps, that they lost, or they remember uh, any loved one that they have lost. And I, I so much want to bring home a truth to everyone here today and help you see the truth, not just as a, a doctrine or even a principle for happy holidays. I want you to see it as a, uh, a truth about serving God, a, a truth about your best life, a truth about how to make next year better than this year. Uh, holidays are, yes, sentimental. And yes, holidays do have a lot of memories. And, and yes, we, we all uh, have lost uh, loved ones and friends, and some more than others, let's be honest. Some of, some of you have lost more in terms of, of friends and family than others of, of us. But I want you to see that although we sing songs like away in a manger. If you want to really understand what Jesus has done for us, you don't see that best as away in a manger. You see it as a way in a manger. Not away in a manger, but away in a manger. In other words, here is uh, this principle. I, I, th I, I've, I've always enjoyed this title, The Way in a Manger. I preached it uh, here in Charlotte in 2001. I figured, you know, 20, 22 years was enough where I, I could use the same title again without anybody thinking too badly of me. And um, the, the idea of this is when I see uh, Bethlehem's story and when I see the eternal God <clears throat> who was great and holy and pure and just. When I see him laying down his power and laying down his strength and laying down his um, creative, um, ineffable, uh, infinite ability to become that which is most helpless, which is a baby who cannot survive unless his mother and father care for him, particularly his mother in those years, um, if you in this moment can only feel the sentiment of the holiday season, you have missed the best part of the holiday season. Because this is the very image of a God who it doesn't simply love you, but is willing to do 
for you what you could not do for yourself. Why does this matter? Why does this give me hope? Well, uh, let me start by confessing to you that I have a problem and you do too. Uh, You may not admit it. I am willing to admit it. Uh, That was fun. We'll all admit it. Uh, It goes like this. I have a sin problem. I have a sin problem. Now, um, don't worry. I'm not about to confess about something that is embarrassing. I uh, try not, I, I, I try not to, you know, disqualify myself from the ministerial office, which means I get to have bad days, but I don't get to do everything. <laughs> and so the point I'm trying to make is, uh, is this. Um, I'm not, my point is not to confess some individual sin of uh, one time, you know, I did this, or I used to have a problem with this. My point is not that. My point is, is even on my best day, I have a sin problem. And even on my most righteous um, week, I have a, a sin problem. And it's more about what, it's more than just what I have or haven't done. It's deeper than that. Read the Sermon on the Mount. When you get some time, think about it. It's not really about what you have or haven't done. It's what is in your heart to do. If you could get away with it. Now, if you raise the standard to the Sermon on the Mount, that, my goodness, who? Uh, this is where we get into the righteous scarcely be saved. And uh, let, let, let me tell you a story about this. I um, was just a little guy. I was probably maybe 10 years old. Um, I had a neighbor who was just a mean guy. Um, he, he, he just, he bullied me really badly. And I mean, I was fine. I survived. But um, I, I, it was bad enough that, let's put it this way, I, even as an adult, I would have stress dreams and he would still be uh, beating me up in the backyard. And uh, that was kind of a, a bad memory. And I'll never forget one day, uh, he was a quite talented athlete. He's, he's passed on now, but um, he was a quite talented athlete. And um, he had, uh, he was the quarterback of the high school and he, he was, he was really good. He was a natural athlete. He was uh, five years older than me. And uh, he, for whatever reason, one day he just had really just, just, just put a whooping on me. Now there's a big age difference. I mean, I'm 10, he's 15. There, there's just no way a 10 year old can compete with a 15 year old. It's just not going to happen. And so, um, he, uh, um, he, he had a hundred dollar. Now nowadays, $100 isn't a lot of money. I know all you guys, you have multiple $100 bills in your wallet right now. Uh, you know, I know to you guys, $100 isn't a lot of money. But when I was 10 years old, this was the first, if I remember correctly, the first professional uh, football that was NFL, the same ball they played with. And in my mind, I thought it was $100. I could be wrong about that. But it was a big deal in our neighborhood. It was the only one. The rest of us had those rubber ones. This was an official one. And uh, he had it, and he made that. He 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 put a whooping on me one day. I mean, I, it was so bad, I cried. I just I cried in his backyard and asked him to if I just could go home. And he wouldn't even let me go home. He just kept knocking me down. And every time I I try to go home, he would tackle me like a football player. And man, I just cried. It's pitiful. And um, uh, 
he finally, after this went on for a while, let me go home. And I'm just a 10-year-old boy, you know, I was a fat little kid, and I'm just blubbering across the street. <laughs> and I get to the other side of the street, and I look, and in my backyard, uh, my bully neighbor has made a strategic error. Uh, and what was that error? He had left his $100 NFL football, and the devil spoke to me at that moment. Uh, you, you don't know that the devil can speak to a person, but I want you to know, even at the tender age of a 10-year-old, I thought to myself, hmm, I can't whoop you, but you should not have left that uh, football in my backyard. I went in the house, true story, y'all can talk bad of me later. I went in the house, true story, and I got a butcher knife. Yes, I did. I went in that backyard and I was still crying. <laughs> just, I just was miserable. And I went up that ball stand right there and I took that butcher knife and I went up. Now this explains a lot of my mental health issues just so you know now. <laughs> I went up to that ball with that butcher knife and I got right down on that ball and I stabbed it. Pow! And the ball went. And then I considered what I had done. And I thought to myself, if my dad finds out, no matter what happened, if my dad finds out I did this, I'm going to be in trouble. So I went into cover up the crime mode. I w cover up the, so what would you do? Well, the first thing you do is you have to hide the body. Everybody knows you have to hide the body. Can I get a witness? Some of y'all know where the bodies are hidden. <laughs> And so this, it has done hiss and now. I went back in, I put the knife up, I thought innocently for a little while, what, hide the body. So I went and got the football and I looked out the front of the house and I didn't see him and I ran over to his house and I got on the side of his house and I kind of punted it in the backyard of his, so blah, 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 blah. And it went over, that's proper English, just so you know. I went into his backyard and I slipped back home. About an hour later, did not fool him a bit, he was knocking on the front door. And he had that football, and he said, my dad came to the door, and he said, this, your son did this to my football. Okay, so dad comes in, and he's like, did you do this? <laughs> do I look like the kind of person who would hide a body? I mean, I, what do I know? Dad, I buried it with lime in the back corner of the house. Anyway, uh, my dad said, well, give it to me, I'll try to patch it. So my dad, rather than buy a hundred one, hundred dollar one, um, he tried to patch it. The patch, that you can't patch a football like that, just in case you were wondering, because it messes up the, the rotational, it's no longer evenly distributed. And now when you throw it, it goes, beautiful, perfect for my purposes. And um, finally, my, the guy came back, complained to men, and we paid for it. Finally, my dad said, to, the, to him, standing on my front porch and I'm hiding around the corner like this. My dad says, well, it might be, I didn't even know that my dad knew anything. He said, it might be that you in some way left a young boy with nothing else to put his rage out on. So I'm gonna give you back your football. And I was like, I have a sin problem. Even if I don't commit the sin, there's some part of me that wants to. Even if it's just a football, you punch me long enough, you'll make me a little bit crazy. 
even if it's just small stuff, if you're mean enough, you'll make me mean. Some of the reasons you guys have struggled in the way you have is you were put in an environment where your only perceivable path was survival. And so they hit you, you hit them back. They cursed you, you cursed them back. Your coping mechanism was survival. But the problem with survival is we do not do it with uh, grace. We do it with grit. I should have got a bigger amen on that one than that one. We don't survive with great. We survive with grit. And you decide, I'm not quitting. And I will fight. And I will scrap. Even when we try to do good, the Apostle Paul said, evil is present. Even if I did not commit the sin, there was a part of me that would have loved to have the opportunity to try. Even if I did not raise the standard of goodness to the level of secret desire and there are none who is good. No, not one. And so when you see the manger, you do not simply see the sentimental sweetness of the Lord coming near. What you see in this manger is the Lord saying, I want to save them. And the only way I can save them is if I live a a righteous life in their stead and then give them the godliness that I have attained. I need the perfect life to be lived, so let me live it for them. They can't live it. Let me live it. But my brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not fall into the habit of a religious solution when there is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Religion goes like this. Here's religion in a nutshell. Try to do better. And if you try to do better, um, over time, you will up your godliness score. And as your godliness score goes higher, then God will begin to like you more. And as if if your score gets high enough, God might even save you because he likes of you enough because you've got your godliness score high enough. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do. Anything you do must be based in love and surrender because you will not attain it in effort and goodness. You fall upon the rock rather than having the rock fall upon you. I offer all of me to God. He is my righteous covering. He is the innocent blood on the doorpost of my my heart. I have a future, not because I am good, but because he is good. Oh, I don't know if anyone wants to preach with me here for a little while. I have a future, not because I deserve it, but, but, but because he deserves it. And so when hell comes along and says, you ought to quit, you're never going to be good enough. You get to say amen. As long as you add this, it's this truth that I live upon, I'm never going to be good enough. But Jesus was good enough. Jesus was good enough. I have hope today because of his goodness. We see the way in a manger. We see God's purpose for mankind. We see the desire for spiritual fellowship. We see human failure and human need. And we see God saying, let me pay in their stead this price. God has a plan. We are all drowning in sin and God has 
as a lifeboat. We are saved through his goodness. There is a way to new life, and it's in this manger. There is a way to victory in, uh, with confidence and victory in Jesus. It is in this manger. You have to see not just sweetness of the past and sentiment of the moment. You have to see this is my hope for overcoming life through Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Would you give God some praise right now? Let's just take a break all across the house. I want to praise you, oh God, for what you have done for me. Praise God. Uh, the story of this that I think is most helpful, and you guys know it, and I, I know it's always a little bit difficult when somebody preaches something you've heard a lot. Sometimes you just check out and then catch up whenever it's something you haven't heard. Um, but uh, this is a timeless story that should be shared uh, consistently as an example of all of our need, and that is the reminder of this parable of the prodigal son who uh, went away and he wasted everything he had been given. The Bible says it was riotous living. Why do people go out and live that way? Um, they don't realize it, but they're seeking something that makes their life in some way complete. It is like the party environment. They want to have fun, and so that would be fun, or that would be fun, or if I spent my life pursuing this experience, that would be good. Or if I had this accomplishment, that would be good. You go out without plan, without self-discipline, without wisdom, and you are seeking something and you spend your gifts, you spend your inheritance on riotous living. And it's at the end of your capacity to chase your own deceptions. The most dangerous lies we tell are the lies we tell ourselves. And all forms of human brokenness that we struggle to get out of is in some way built upon a lie we have told ourselves. And it goes some version like this. If I had that, then I would be happy. If I did this, then I would be happy. And you find people who have it and have done it, are they happy? Uh, not usually. It's pretty rare. Uh, there is more than just the endless wants. There is more than just the passions of the flesh and the, the lusts of the mind and the pride of life. There is something more. You waste it all seeking something. All the while, the good life was home at the father's house. Yeah. All the while, the good life was home at the father's house. The prodigal son is surprised by the fact that he wakes up at the end of his ability to afford his own deception. You have to be able to afford your own deceptions. Uh, when you no longer can afford it, it uh, hopefully uh, either, hopefully it wakes you up. But when he runs out of his capacity to pursue his self-delusion, uh, he wakes up. And he wakes up uh, taking care of pigs in a pig pen. And he finds himself eating slop, um, which is... Uh, for pigs in the manner in which pigs were moved on uh, small farms as you take anything left over from harvest. Pigs will eat anything. So you take anything left over from harvest, 
corn, uh, even even just the the remnants of the harvest, and they, you give them that, and they'll eat that for a long time. Um, uh, table scraps, you, you give them that, and um, and then you just mix it all together until it is a mix of uh, fermentation and uh, various forms of nastiness, and you just you just give them that, and it's fitting that what you feed a pig is the detritus of everything you valued but nothing of goodness it's the bitter leftovers of everything that once was valuable the table scraps the leftovers of the harvest whatever is remnants even when you and I I don't mean to be gross and I'm afraid I'm going to be gross so I'm just going to stop there Um, anything I got the nod from my wife so I'm I'm doing good I quit right there she was happy Um, uh, anything that's the detritus of everything that once was value is slopped together rots together and fed to the pigs and when you cannot afford it You cannot afford your deceptions anymore. What the world feeds you is whatever is left that nobody wanted, that could not be put to any value. They say, here, you can be stuck with this. And it's here that he wakes up. Uh, And he recognizes even the servants in my father's house live better than that. So uh, this is classic gospel preaching right here that I want to give to you. And here is the classic uh, gospel preaching. You, at some point, if you are lucky, will see through your delusions and your self-deceptions and you will recognize that there's a better way to live than the ways of the flesh. There's a better way to live than the deception of sin. Your father is waiting for you at home. Your father is watching every day for you. How do you find your way home? How do you go back to where you were intended to be? There is a way that has been provided through Jesus Christ, and he is our way out of the valley of our sorrows. Jesus is our way out of the trap and snare of sin, and he is our way out of a valley of brokenness. How has life defeated you? Live long enough, you will be defeated. Uh, How has life defeated you? Um, We, all of us, uh, see images in the scripture and we think about what they mean. We think about brokenness as a biblical idea and we, we, we read scriptures of how weeping can last all night long, but there's always hope that with the rising of the sun, uh, there would be joy that comes anew and afresh in our life. There's image after image of brokenness. There's the story of the shepherd, uh, the divine shepherd, who seeks for the, uh, the, the lamb that's been taken by wolves, and everyone else thinks the story's finished, and the wolves have won. But this is not just any shepherd. This is the divine shepherd. And the Bible says in the poetry of of the the, the book that what the shepherd finds is the remnants of what the the wolves did not consume. Just the remnants. A a, a few ribs. And the Bible says, giving us this graphic image, a pea 
piece of an ear. That's pretty graphic image. This is what the shepherd has found that is left of what the wolves have done to the lamb. But the story's not over because this is not just an ordinary shepherd. Uh, this is a divine shepherd. And if all God has to work with in you is a few remnants left of what your life once was, if all there is is fragments that remain, he will instruct his disciples to gather up the fragments that remain. Why? So that nothing be lost. God is in the business of seeking fragments. No, it doesn't make sense to you. No, it doesn't make sense to me. God is in the business of working with fragments. He is your way out of bitterness. Is anybody here a witness that God will bring you out of a bitter harvest? Is anybody here a witness that he is your way out of brokenness? Church is not just sweet gatherings. Church is fundamentally built upon a mission that there is hope no matter how far down you have fallen. The holidays are not primarily gatherings of a sentimental nature. They are built on a hope that goes like this. No matter where you are, if you will call upon the name of Jesus, he is your way out of your circumstances. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so we fundamentally celebrate in this holiday season something more than just the family gathering. We celebrate the hope upon which it is all built. So how are you going to uh, go into your new year uh, knowing that there is a solution for the snare of sin? How are you going to turn your heart toward God knowing that there's a better way to live? It is very much built upon a relationship. And yes, it is very much uh, the uh, healing of your heart and the healing of your mind and, and, and a restoration of your spirit. It could happen and it can happen in a moment. I've seen people's life changed in a moment. But let me be honest with you as I'm almost done, musicians, you can come. More often than not, more often than not, healing is a process. Yes. Do I have any witnesses here in the house? Yes. How many of you, you have circumstances in your life, you're still in the process of being healed by them? I want you to look around and see the vast majority of us confess that there are struggles in our life that we are still pleading the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ over and we are still being healed. Uh, don't fall into a sense of uh, church is not for me. Don't fall into a, a sense of religion is, is, is not for me. I talked to so many people who they, and I actually preached about this in the 9 a.m. service, that uh, so many people who in some way they, 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 they seek something, but um, honestly what they have been exposed to in the form of their traditions and their, their, their inheritances, it just doesn't seem to speak to the moment, the modern moment of their life. And uh, I, I, I'm not unsympathetic to this. I am aware that uh, if you have a particular attitude in your mind about 
church people, or if you have a particular uh, belief system in your mind about uh, preachers, say, I have friends who, um, they're they're friends, um, I call them friends, Um, they know I'm a pastor, Uh, they tease me about being a pastor, they they really believe that uh, all pastors are, not all, but as, uh, I mean, they, they don't, I don't think they believe it about me, that would be a problem. Um, uh, they, they, they have this cliche in their mind that all the church cares about is money. They, they've settled on this idea that all the church cares about is money. Now, if you've attended here very much, we mention how to give, and that's about the end of it. <laughs> um, we, I, I, I can count, I don't think I've taken up a special offering this year. Um, I don't know that I took up a special offering last year. Now, if you, um, whatever is given, we make it work. We figure it out. We give to missionaries all around the world. We give thousands of dollars to every worthy raise, uh, fundraiser that, that we can do. We try to bless. We try to help. In fact, sitting on my chair over there is a plaque from uh, ANPA that just gave our, our church uh, uh, a plaque of extraordinary service because we partnered with them and allowed them to uh, set up here a health fair, which we worked with them. And we did... Uh, uh, health care for communities all around all around the the, the church um, uh, that if once you get in your mind that the church is all about money you, you won't see that um, we had this past week we had a um, while well, Monday nights you get you guys know we we host celebrate recovery um, and that has been very very successful ministry here at first church we just were connected uh, this past weekend um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous came by and talked to Pastor Ed uh, the the the, the leader of that in the area, and they're losing their place. And he's like, I've heard you guys, uh, you know, will help with that kind of a thing. And, 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 and we would like to know if we can uh, set up here and, and work with the facility, work with you guys here. So starting next year, we're going to have a, a different night where we have uh, 30 plus people for Alcoholics Anonymous here on our church property. We, we want to help. We, we try to help. But it's like once you get an idea in your head that all the church cares about is money, what it does is it's like you see, it's like you choose to see the worst because there are people like that. So you find that worst example and you say everybody's like them because having seen the worst in others, you don't have to feel bad about the worst in yourself. You see what I'm saying? It's like once you get this idea, we get these ideas and... Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.